I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things Certified Financial Planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And today we are talking all things CFP related and also kind of French CFP related. Uh, I have a very special guest and that is Michael Yule. Hello, Michael. Hi, afternoon. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Great stuff. Yeah, lovely. Very good today. Thanks, Jackie. And uh, coming to you live from France where it's nice and warm today. So can't complain. So we are going to talk about your experience um, going through the CFP, all the sorts of tips and things that you might be able to offer our listeners. Um, as we were chatting offline, we have we have an audience that is uh, now 50% uh, under 30. Um, so lots of people interested in the podcast and interested in getting into the profession. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to share some tips and some experiences to help people along their way uh, during this podcast today. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so before we get into the nitty gritty of how you came to find the CFP and everything, just let's go right back to the start and tell us a little bit about how you got into the financial planning profession. Yeah, so uh, back in 2008, I was a graduate in the UK. I was working for a medical company. Um, it was a great company to work for. I was in hospitals, meeting surgeons, chatting about the products. And um, I suppose, like many people in, in, in the olden days, if I can say that, a lot of people who started out as product salespeople. So I got offered a job for a company internationally. They have 50 offices around the world. And the truth be told, it was, it was selling products to people, mostly Brits that lived abroad. Yeah. Um, good company, you know, I, I can't fault them. They they gave me my foot in the door, if you like. Some people came to work for them for a couple of years and then moved back to the UK. Um, some people made a career out of it. And, and I decided I wanted to be the latter because it, it sort of combined a couple of elements that I really liked, which was the people interaction, the face-to-face with clients. And, and and money and finance. And, and I suppose with that, you could tag along a little bit of economics, um, a little bit of psychology and so on. But that was the part I really enjoyed about the role, even though it was quite a restrictive role in a way, we were just selling a couple of products to clients. Mm-hmm. And then in, um, in, in 2000 and, gosh, let me think, 2009, I, I took up the job in South Africa um, so I had three years there. Then I got offered a job in West Africa. So they asked me to go and open a branch in Ghana, in West Africa, which was a real adventure. Um, glad I did it. It was a great experience. But at, at this stage of life, I don't think I'd do it again. Um, and then after that, we we returned. My wife and I returned to, to Cape Town, South Africa, and we set up our own company. And it, it was really at that point that I 
I decided this was something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, career. And the compliance company we work with in South Africa to, to set up our company and our, our license and so forth, they, they said, you, you really need to start looking at more and more and more qualifications. I, I've got a Bachelor of Science degree, but they wanted, obviously, some professionally relevant qualifications. And so yeah. they suggested working through, um, through the universities in South Africa. But my, my fear, and not to get political at this stage, but my fear for South Africa was that it perhaps wasn't a long-term um, solution for my wife and I. Even though she's from there, the, the country's got numerous problems, as, as many people know. So the reason I mention that is I thought, that I would choose to go through the UK qualification route. It was recognised in South Africa, and um, and of course, if anything happened, we could return to the UK, and, and my, my qualification would be relevant. And, and actually, um, the, the CISI, who I, I've done all my qualifications through so far, I, I really, really enjoyed the journey because you, you can start from a very basic level. Um, even though I have a, a Bachelor of Science degree, I, I had no financial qualifications, really. Yeah. So starting at the sort of level one, level two, and, and then going to level four with my diploma, um, it took me a couple of years, and it's modular, and it's it's learning in your own time. So I was I was working for for myself. It's it's my company, if you like, and so seeing clients during the day, and then doing a bit of study at night and the weekends, and and doing the exams as and when I could. And and I, I've, I've gone all the way from level one to level four diploma. And then I've done the, the level six pensions exam. And, and the most recent one was, was the CFP. And um, I don't think, I hope my wife's not listening, but I don't think I'm finished there because I <laughs> I, I think the, the level seven chartered wealth manager qualification, I've got my eye on that next. Uh-oh. So uh, yeah, I'll say it quietly in case she is listening. <laughs> Excellent. So um, actually, we've got I've got I'm looking after some students who are going through their level two and just start some of them just past their level two. And it gave them a huge confidence boost. You know, it's a really good grounding, uh, the CISI level two exam, isn't it? And they've actually they're moving on with confidence now to start their regulatory exams at level four. So, um, yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about how you found out about the CFP. Um, did they tell you, was it the, you know, the compliance guys in South Africa that first mentioned the CFP to you? No, um, like, like I say, with, with joining the, the CISI as a member, I, I have to credit them because I think their website is fantastic. I think it's very easy to use. Um, there's a section on there that, that shows all the qualifications, the, the full range that they have. And I, I, I probably log on once a week just to have a look. Sometimes I do, um, going off course a little, um, the, the professional refresher courses. So yes. they, that helps me build my CPD as well. But yeah. I keep an eye on some of the news articles and some of the events that they post. And, and um, they're, they're very innovative, I think, especially the last three or four or five years with new courses. And I believe what happened, and you, you probably correct me on this, uh, if I'm wrong, but I, I think that the merger with the FPI brought across the CFP qualification under yes. the CISI belt. Um, and so when, when I saw it on there, I think there was a, a, an introductory offer to do it. And I signed up for it probably about 
gosh, about a year before lockdown. Um, so probably at the start of 2019. Yeah, in fact, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I sat my pensions exam in the UK in the December. I think I got my results in about the March. Um, and then I signed up for the CFP probably about the April, May time. And so I started working towards it that year. And it's, it's one of those where I, I think what happened was I got a case study and then I was ill for a little bit. And so I started again perhaps later on in the year. And if, if I can say this, um, lockdown was, was actually good for me in that it helped me have the time to focus on, on writing my report. Yes. which I think with hindsight, I, I might have struggled with if I was working full time. And that's maybe a warning to, to any other candidates that are thinking about it. It is a very, very, very detailed and long case study. My, I think my final submission was about 85 pages. So in a way, I was, I was sort of lucky that lockdown gave me the time to, to sit and have maybe two or three hours a day for three or four or five weeks. Um, so how, how I found out about it was, was that I, I, I'm, I'm regularly on the CISI website. I think some of the latest ones that they've launched, there's, um, the, I think there's a level four and a, and a new level five one to do with ESG and sustainable funds, green funds. Yes. That looks very, very interesting. I've had a look at that. But yeah, yeah the, the CFP wasn't something I was massively aware of. In South Africa, there's a lot of financial planners who are CFPs. Um, so I know it's offered over there. Uh, yeah. I found out more and more about it over the past year or two. I know it's big in the States. I know it's big in Australia. But my understanding was it wasn't particularly well known in the UK until recently. And I think now I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I see a lot of people who have signed up to do the the um, the exam first and then the case study. Yes. And yeah, it's it's a very, very, very interesting qualification. I, I think from the comments that I've seen from people who have sat it or who are starting to, to go through the process, nobody has a bad word to say about it other than how in-depth it is. And yes. it, does, it does take an awful lot of time and an awful lot of brain power. And it really, really, really tests you. Yeah. And I always tell people that for the new version, because I think we, I always call it the old CFP, which is <laughs> yeah. the one that you and I did, which yeah. is for those people who who weren't aware, it was essentially the, the level six exam and the level seven case study put together in one great big thing. Correct. So you had to set your own yeah. assumptions. You yeah. had to demonstrate your own technical knowledge um, across the piece at level six. Um, and and there was no page limit um, as there yeah. is now with a new level seven. There's a 60 page limit. Um, and actually that can work against a lot of candidates because you run out of, you, you know, you can't get in everything that you want to say um perhaps because of your natural style you know maybe if it's like me you know you're like me you waffle a little bit um (laughs) and then all of a sudden you're up against your 60 page uh uh, page count for the assessment so uh, it's it's marginally different but essentially what 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 we're saying is that you know we did the the slightly older version where you've got those two 
components together. And I often tell people that just the new level seven component now, just the case study assessment that uh, that's split apart from the level six exam is going to take you probably a minimum of 60 hours work. If you're, you know, depending on what your technical knowledge is like, it could be anything up to 100 hours, which is obviously where you're, you know, two or three hours a day for numerous weeks is coming in. And, you know, it's the, it's the knock-on effects, isn't it? That's what makes it complex because you haven't got, you know, I don't know whether, you know, what, what your experience is with, with your own clients. Certainly with my, my old clients in the past, they would come to me and say, Jackie, we might have one or two objectives that we want you to look at. But with the CFP case study, you're essentially looking at about four or more objectives that you've got to achieve uh, in that report, haven't you? Yeah, I think I think in total mine were seven plus there was an extra one for the client's mother. So it, it really, really was in depth and it really did test every little thing that I'd learned. And, and not just that, but it, it made me go out and learn about other areas of financial planning that I, I'd never encountered before. Um, or if I had, it might have just been here and there. It made me go out and research things that a, I, I didn't know a lot about, and B, I actually found really interesting. And um, my, my wife will, will testify to this. I, I would sit there at the dinner table at night and things would hit me out of the blue. You know, I might be talking to the kids about something. And then there, were, <laughs> there was one day where, I know this sounds crazy, but there was one day where I, we were sat having dinner one night and something hit me like a ton of bricks. It just out of the blue that I wonder if the case study has this that I've overlooked and I finished my dinner quickly and I ran off to my computer and I reread the fact find document that we'd been provided and sure enough there it was and I'd missed it oops Think, thinking constantly about situations what if this happens if I do that what's the situation with this what's it really does um not quite take over your life but it's very very interesting to go through over the number of weeks and months and like you say the the old version was was perhaps a lot more in depth in terms of it all being in one whereas now the exam and the case study are separate but yeah very very enjoyable overall but a real commitment I think and people people who are considering it need to need to perhaps have a think do you have the time to do it have you got the the knowledge the experience and the biggest thing I would say is get help and there are numerous coaches out there that can help people through it one of whom I work with was a real godsend to me because he also just nudged me and pointed me in the direction and said maybe have a look at this and you know have you considered that and this is what we need to consider with this and so forth and really really valuable stuff that I I think got me through it in the end Yes. And it was Campbell, isn't wasn't it? Campbell Edgar who helped you. It was Campbell, yeah, yeah. He's great great guy, really, really good mentor. Um knows more than I'll ever know, I think. And, and that's, uh, <laughs> yes, that's me an too. honest assessment. I think he will I could study for the next hundred years and he'd still catch me out on things. But very, <laughs> very great guy to work with, really enjoyable. And yeah, honestly, hand on heart, I, I don't think I would have got through it without his coaching and help and guidance. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of things did Campbell help you with? Did he help you? I mean, he didn't check 
you know, the kind of technical aspects of your plan just challenged you on your thought process and said, you know, have you thought about that or why did exactly. you do it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, I, I would do a section of it. It might have been, you know, one of the objectives I would write it up. I would, um, I, I would factor in as many things as I thought necessary. We would, we would chat about it and discuss it. And then he would say, have you thought of this? Or have you considered what will happen if this happens? And to, to give you a brief example, one, one of her, the, 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 um, the client, let's call her, um, one of her main objectives was retirement planning. And so when we crunched, or when I crunched the numbers on, will she have enough to retire at her desired age? One of the things that Campbell gave me a nudge on was to say, should we be looking at taking the PCLS out of a pension on, on retirement or mm-hmm. perhaps UFPLS instead. And it was something that I hadn't immediately thought of, but it threw me in a completely different direction with the calculations involved and, and getting to the point of, is the tax benefits of that going to outweigh what we were considering? And so looking at both angles and then and then realising which one was the, the way to go forward with with the suggestions I made. So yeah, from a, from a coaching perspective, very good. Um, nudging me in directions that perhaps I haven't thought about straight away and challenging me on on perhaps other aspects that weren't immediately clear. Yes, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. And do you think through going through the process um, and coming out through the other side, gaining your certified financial planner certification, has it did it has it changed you as a person, as a planner in front of clients? Well, I nearly got divorced, if that's what you mean. <laughs> um, but uh, no, def- definitely has has made my role very different. Um, one one thing that really stood out for me more than anything was that there were no product recommendations whatsoever yeah. there's no mention of any company or specific product it's all about the, the the theory behind planning and and that was just a little bit different to what i used to do when i would meet clients particularly internationally we would look at what international plans are available for expats what type of structure should we be looking at for non-doms etc with the financial planning qualification it was more about the numbers, more about crunching down on different aspects and bringing them all together and making the numbers work for the targets that the client has. The the situation is I'm a 45-year-old and I want to retire at this age with this income. How do the numbers work? Um, What if I pass away before then and my kids need looking after? So no products whatsoever, no no mention of any companies at all. It's more the underlying assumptions and calculations mm-hmm. that go towards getting to, to a recommendation. Yes. And you mentioned my favorite subject, assumptions. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I believe now the latest um, financial planning aspect is where you're given the assumptions whereas whereas i i had to go out and research them and that that was probably the part i enjoyed the most mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, that may sound crazy but it probably took me oh, four weeks to go through every assumption that i could think of and justify it and i i was told there was no right or wrong answer as long as you could justify it reasonably 
Yep. And so everything from, you know, CPI, RPI, property price inflation, what's what's the rate and why? Do you exclude Southeast property because it's slightly different to the rest of the UK? Do you take an overall? All those things that you write up about and justify and come to a figure and then use that figure in your calculations. And, and yeah, the assumptions was probably the, the best part for me in terms of the research knuckling down on the numbers and then using those numbers to to write my plan. Yeah. And actually what happens now in the new level seven is that candidates are given a certain number of assumptions for the asset prices, for price inflation um, and earnings inflation, for example. But then they have to find and source uh, all the other assumptions they might need, like house price inflation or school yeah. fees, um, yeah. uh, you know, longevity and, you know, justify all of that. So they still, in some respects, it it's easier. And in other respects, it's more tricky. So, for example, as I say to a lot of the people on my courses, they we, when we talk about annuities, um, they're, they're given information by the CISI about guilt rates and about corporate bonds rates. Yeah. And, and then they have to come up with an annuity figure. And I say, well, how do you build an annuity? You know, it's based on long-term uh, uh, bonds, long-term returns, expectations of long-term returns on long-term bonds. And so you've already got some figures that kind of quite closely relate to what figure it could be. So the assumptions that candidates now have to bear in mind is that some of those assumptions that they're going to create brand new, like you were doing for all of yours, they have to bear in mind the information that they have already been given. So they have to fit together, don't they? Like that 3D jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's um I forget how many I had in mind, but probably in the region of about sixteen or eighteen different assumptions. Yeah. And then using those right. as your as your basis to put everything going forward. Every part of the seven or eight areas of financial planning that the client wanted you refer back to your assumptions and, and use them in every calculation. Yeah. And has do you think that CFP has helped you see further down the track for a client, perhaps to warn them a little more about, you know, unintended consequences of a particular action that they might want to take? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the, the forward planning of it, looking not just now for a client who might approach me who's 50 years of age and, and wants to retire at 65. So you're considering a 15-year time frame. Now I look at to 99 or beyond. And having that calculation involved where we can say, when is your money likely to run out, if that's the case, or, or what's the situation when you get to your 99th birthday or, or when you get the card from the Queen? So making that that journey even longer and and yeah it's it's definitely given me more long term financial planning views for my clients e even the younger ones you know I, I I've been approached by someone recently who's 29 years of age lives in Paris and is a is an expat and, and hoping to be an expat for a long time and first of all bravo for reaching out at 29 years of age yeah but secondly um, you know a 30 year old with financial planning is very different to a 
50 or 55 year old. And so having a look even further down the line for her has been, uh, I'm actually working on a plan at the moment. It's been fascinating. It, it, so many different avenues and so many different aspects of it can change over that term. Yes. Um, definitely the CFP has, has broadened my horizons, if I can say that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's that's been reiterated from, you know, a great number of people that I've spoken to over the years. Um, so great to hear that it's still very relevant for you. And you've actually moved to France now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we've been here about a year. So we, we left South Africa about 18 months ago and we've, we've been in France now for, for just over a year. And yeah, very happy here, very settled. Um, it's always been on the on our horizon to come back to Europe. Like I mentioned with South Africa has its problems. It's a, mm. it's a beautiful country and I love it to bits. But in terms of bringing up a family, we, we wanted perhaps a little bit more safety and security. So yeah, in France, there's, I believe the figures are something like half a million Brits permanently live here. And then there are other Brits with holiday homes and so forth. And the other aspect is how many French people have worked in the UK and then returned. So I don't know, the, the, the figures vary depending on what you read. I think HSBC do a good annual survey of their clients and they throw out a few figures. So there's there's probably six or 700,000 people who permanently live in France that have assets in the UK and, and have a need for cross-border financial planning. And, and I think one of the things that it taught me is that utilising other people's skills within a financial plan is crucial. I, I, I don't know enough about um, wills in the UK. Perhaps the step qualification one day is, is going to be on my radar. But um, working with a cross-border lawyer, so I work with two here in France who are both UK and French qualified to do wills and powers of attorney. I work with a very good um, tax planner in the UK who knows the French tax law here. So having those experts do their bit and I bring it together in the financial plan. And yeah, I've been very busy in the in the year we've been here, not just moving house and, and settling in and so forth, but getting approached by, by quite a lot of clients here in France asking for help. And yeah, that's great. I think the CFP designation definitely adds weight to... To the role I can play. Um, there are, unfortunately, there are companies out there that do a bit of a copy-paste job with an advice record and send it to a client and say, this is what you need to do. Um, yeah. You know, tailoring a CFP, um, sorry, tailoring a, a financial plan for a client from a CFP is, is very much a personalized document. And I, I say to every single client that I chat to that it's an evolving process. Things change month to month, year to year. So having a plan now and, and having it change in, in a year's time is is part of the process of it being adaptable. Yes, it's all normal, isn't it? And and actually sometimes, you know, you do the first plan for a client and they go, mm, no, don't like the look of that, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that, you know, getting the right solution has to be both from a planning perspective and from a client perspective has to be right. And yeah, um, yeah you know, the, I think cross-border international stuff throws up a few more curveballs. Um, I don't just deal with people in France. I still still help clients in South Africa. I, I know the legislation over there quite well for pensions and investments and some of the tax rates and so forth. But 
yeah, it certainly adds another dimension. And some days I think maybe I should make life simpler and move back to the UK and deal with with just UK clients. But um, the yeah, the weather's better over here. <laughs> absolutely absolutely um although not this week um not this so. week i believe <laughs> Yes, um, that's fantastic. Well, we have nearly run out of time, but I just wanted to ask you one last question, Michael, if I may. And that is, what advice would you give, any tips to share with those people who are about to start their journey to CFP certification? Do it. Go <laughs> for it. Sign up today and give it your best. My, my, my biggest tip, I would say, is work with someone. Work with a mentor, a coach, um, even if it's only one or two discussions that you have, um, it will be invaluable. Think about how much time it will take and, and allocate that time accordingly. Don't think it's something you can do in a weekend because it's, in my experience, it was very, very involved. So it, it does take an awful lot of time and effort and thought and so forth. But yeah, go for it. You won't regret it. I, I've been contacted. 20 or so times on LinkedIn by people either thinking about it or just starting it. And to everyone, I say, go for it. You won't regret it. It's a fantastic qualification. Um, get help. Speak to someone who can help mentor and coach you. And yeah, and enjoy the process because getting that certificate through the post is, uh, is a great feeling. Excellent. Great tips there. Thank you, Michael. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Michael Yule, Northern Cross Wealth. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jackie. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really interesting, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view about different things, all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it for me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things Certified Financial Planner related and also dropping in on our new entrance to the financial planning profession. Bye for now. <laughs>